Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Have you ever had an opportunity to, or an experience of a time where you were surprised that you didn't have to do something? Like you showed up and somebody had already done it for you, or, or you were just surprised that you didn't have to do something. I think we can, if you're a parent and you have kids, there's the time whenever you asked your kids to begin to do the things, right, that you've been doing for them their entire lives, right? You start to, you know, we asked our kids to take the laundry upstairs, and it's like, you know, you're surprised when they actually do it, right? Um, there, are, there are things, that if you've ever tried to delegate something, right, like within the church, like this is something that's been really hard for me. It's like, uh, even though we give it to someone else to do, we, and we talk to them when we hand it off, there's always a part of me that's like, I think I'm going to end up having to do this again. Right? I'm just true confessions, right? Uh, all of you who lead here do very well, but I want you to know that there's always a part of me that's like, it's not going to happen and I'm going to end up doing it again, right? We've had that experience. Well, I want to share you a, with you a story uh, of a way that this is sort of uh, played out in our house. So my wife does the laundry on Tuesdays, okay? It didn't used to be this way. We create a system and she does laundry on Tuesdays. And in creating the system, she said, I am not going to go around behind all the kids and me uh, and pick up the clothes. So on Tuesday, whatever laundry basket is, whatever's in the laundry basket in the bathroom, that's what's going to get done. And I said, okay, well, I will then, I'll make sure that my clothes end up in the laundry basket. Now, my clothes historically have ended up in a pile next to the bed and then, you know, weeks go by. So I said, I will, I will make a commitment that I'm going to put the clothes in the laundry basket by Tuesday. And, and I think most Monday nights, she goes to bed and she looks at the pile by my side of the bed. And she has this thought of like, I should just get those. He's busy, works two jobs. I, I should just, do, but she's decided the healthy thing to do, right, is to go, I'm not going to do that for you. You have committed to doing that, and I'm just going to let you do what you've committed to doing. And so there's this temptation that she feels, and even, you can ask her about it, this is kind of fun, but there's this temptation that she fights to just do it because it needs to be done. And the healthy thing is to like, if I don't get the clothes into the basket, the healthy thing is to, well, I don't have clothes, right? That's how that works. And then I'm responsible for doing my own clothes. That's the healthy thing. Some of you don't know that. The healthy thing to do is to not over-function for other people. Cool? Some of that got really close for some of you. It's like, uh, <laughs> um, but there's a million reasons why she could come up with to do the thing. And I think sometimes she's really surprised when my clothes actually end up in the basket. Like, I think there's a part of her that's like, he's not going to get those in the basket, and I know I'm going to have to go back and do it. Well, when it comes to our calling, I think a lot of times we do the same thing with God, right? That God is the one who has called us. And he says, I'm going to take care of making sure that this calling comes to fruition. And all along, we're like looking at the clothes by the bed, or we're looking at the things that just doesn't seem like the circumstances are lining up. And so we start to go, well, you know, I could come up with a million reasons why I have to do this for God, right? Have you been there? We've all been there at some level where we feel like, okay, well, I'm not sure God's going to come through, so I have to do it myself. And we come up with a million reasons why we don't trust God to make it happen. We've been in this series that we've titled Called 
for a number of weeks where we're looking at the early years of David's life, and, and we're looking at the calling that God placed on David's life to become king over Israel. We've talked about the necessary elements of calling, right? We talked about that the first week. Jerry talked about in the second week the humility that's required as part of calling. We've talked about what it looks like when God calls you to handle something else along the way. And we're going to finish the series today talking about how the sovereignty of God sustains us in the face of opposition. I'm calling this message, again, last week, you guys remember I had two titles last week. I got two titles for this week. You ready for this? My first title was, and it's not the one that's going to end up on the podcast, don't worry, I got this. That's my best, don't worry, I've got this. Nobody like, thinks it's all that funny but me. Um, anyway, the, the title of today's message is, don't worry, I've got this. We're going to pray, and then we'll look at scripture. So would you join me? Lord, I do pray that you would come into this place, and God, as, as you have been working in our lives, and as you have been uh, speaking to us over the past few weeks about calling God, I pray that you would speak again, Lord, that you would invite us to surrender to your sovereignty, that we would surrender to your control, and that we would come into, into uh, faith that you are, are, are God over our, our calling and God over all of our lives. Lord, would you give us faith? Would you pour out gifts of faith this morning? And God, I pray that you would put your word in my mouth, that you would enable me to speak as I should. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Or if you have a portable electronic device, you can also turn to 1 Samuel. And last week we talked about, you guys remember, we talked about David and Goliath. And we didn't finish the story, although I bet most of you know how the story ends. But in case you don't know how the story ends, David and Goliath, this, David says, I'm going to kill this guy. And Saul finally blesses him to go do it. He goes, slings the stone, hits Goliath in the head, lights out. He cuts his head off. I mean, it's gruesome in the Bible. Uh, cuts his head off. And then the, the Israelite army is like emboldened. It's like, oh, we were afraid. We're not afraid anymore. And so they chase down the Philistines. And at the very end of chapter 17... Saul says, who is this kid? And so Saul, uh, David shows up and he says, I'm, I'm the son of Jesse of Bethlehem. And this is important because there's a conversation that happens. The, the chapter sections in the Bible were added later. So the story just sort of continues. It's not like, you know, they were writing 1 Samuel and they were like, well, we need to put a chapter delineation here because it makes sense. So 18, it just goes right there. The story continues over the chapter break. And so you have to understand that uh, David and Saul are having a conversation at the end of chapter 17, and then chapter 18 happens. And here's what we read at the beginning of chapter 18. The story picks up. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, now Jonathan is Saul's kid, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, 
and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. So we've got this story that plays out. And I don't know if you catch this, but there's like a, uh, it plays out on two planes. So there's this natural plane that sort of runs from verse 1 to 16, right? It's just, it's a continuation of chapter 17. But there's these, it's punctuated by these sort of like jumping out 30,000 foot view. Like verse 5. Verse 5 is this weird like we've been talking about this little thing that Jonathan was doing with David and giving him this thing. And then all of a sudden it zooms out and it's like, and David had favor in everything he was doing and Saul gave him command. And it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't, that's not the next thing. And, and the same with ver, uh, verses 14 to 16. There's these weird sort of uh, punctuations where uh, the, the story is out of order, and it seems like we've got different perspectives, that it's playing out in this natural plane, and at the same time, we get these periodic 30,000-foot view, God-eye view of what's happening. And the point here, the point that, uh, of this section of Scripture is to show us the sovereignty of God over calling. It's the sovereignty of God over calling. See, the things are happening in the natural plane, right? Jonathan and David are friends and Saul and this, this whole processional happens. But at the same time, playing out from a God's eye view, God is at work behind it all. And so this is sort of a thing that happens. Like we sort of think of things in this natural plane, like they just keep going and things are happening. And what we fail to see often is that God is active behind those things, that calling is not something that's your idea or my idea. Calling is God's idea. And not only, it's not like God gave us calling and then says, now you go figure it out. God is sovereign behind all of it. If you remember, like, last couple of weeks, God calls David in uh, chapter 16, and, and David gets anointed. He's going to be king over Israel. And we said it's a decade and a half before he actually becomes king over Israel, right? But yet, last week, this whole battle with, with Goliath was God's way of elevating David to a position where he could be in command of the army. Do you remember that? And this week, you look at something else that's happening. Look at verse uh, 1 again. It says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. He loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David. 
along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. What is this business of Jonathan like disrobing before David? It's like, what is this weird thing that's happening? Jonathan would be the natural heir to the throne. When Saul dies, Saul's kid is the natural heir. So this is Jonathan, right? And so Jonathan would naturally be the next king. And in fact, Jonathan had already done the things that a king should do. If you look back earlier in 1 Samuel, Jonathan has already defeated the Philistines once. So he's already proven himself, and yet, and so there's no reason Jonathan would give up this right that he has to be the king of Israel, except that he sees the sovereign calling of God on David's life. And so what he's doing here is he's taking off his royal robe, and giving it to David. He's taking off all of the stuff that signifies that he would be next in line. He says, I'm giving this to you because he sees that God has called David to be the king. This is naturally playing out, and yet it's God sovereignly elevating David to be the king over Israel. And if you watch over and over in this passage even, David strikes all of these victories. Saul's supposed to be the king. David gets all these victories, which continually elevates him. Over and over and over, it's God raising David to be the king over Israel because God is sovereign over calling. God is the one who calls us, and God is the one who sustains us. And here's the point. When God issues a calling for your life, it's not up to you to make it happen. It's not up to you to make it happen. Calling is under the sovereignty of God. He issues it, he sustains it, and he makes it happen. Your only responsibility is obedience. Do you feel like we bang that drum enough in this church? Every week you're like, you guys talk about obedience like all the time. That's it. And here's the deal. If you get a hold of this, when it comes to living your life and pursuing the calling of God on your life, this will bring peace and it will bring patience peace and patience. Let me tell you a, a story to illustrate, maybe in a negative way, how this, how this plays out. I'll tell you a story of a way where it didn't play out for us. When God called us to plant this church, we had, Jerry and I had a real clear sense. We're supposed to move to Altoona, plant a church, and we set about doing all the things, right? We're writing all these documents. We're super excited. We're going to vision and all this thing, right? And it was really exciting, and yet at the same time, it was exhausting, like, we just figured, like, the way I understood calling at the time was God calls you, right? You search your whole life to find the calling of God. God calls you, and he says, good luck. And periodically, he just pops in and says, how's it going? Right? That's the way I thought of calling. That God just sort of pops in and says, oh, you, here, I'll, I'll take care of that little thing right there. You good now? I'm going to leave. And that's sort of the way I thought about calling. And so, that makes this, this business of calling extremely stressful. And so here's the problem. I had taken a position that was not mine to take. I had taken ownership and responsibility to make this thing exist and make it happen. I had stepped into the place of God. The sinful part of this for me was that I stepped into a place that only God belonged. And so when things were going really well, and like people were coming and people were coming to Christ. And some of you remember we baptized people. It was super exciting. And I'd be like, man, this is great. Isn't God proud of me? See how good I'm doing? And when it would go bad or when nobody would come, I would feel as though I had failed God somehow. 
I remember one, there was, when we first started, we were just a Bible study. We were meeting over at, up the hill at New Life Community Church in their, in their uh, Bible study room. And so we used to bring drinks and a cooler, like, you know, because we wanted to be hospitable people. And so there were bottled waters and snacks and whatever. So we show up and clear out all the tables, set the thing in a big circle. And we're like, okay, this is exciting. So 6.30 comes and we're sitting there. 6.35 6.40, 7 o'clock, nobody's here, and it's just me and Jerry and the kids, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm failing. Like, my life is failing because I had taken and adopted responsibility for something that was God's to be responsible for, and so I rode this wave. Do you see how you would ride this wave? Things are going great. I'm doing amazing Things are going terrible, I'm going to die, right? I mean, it, it's sort of, the, it's the highs or the lows. There's not really a middle. It's just things are going great and I'm going to, you know, be anointed as some, in some way. Or things are going terrible and I'm probably going to die of depression, right? And th- this is sort of how it went on. Over and over and over, I was taking credit for things that were not mine to take credit for and responsibility for things that were not mine to take responsibility for. Some of you will remember Roger uh, shameless plug for Roger. When he came along, he's leading worship, and one day he came up to me, and he could tell. I mean, when I was in the train station, some of you guys remember that space. Uh, my whole world was de- dependent on how good I felt like we were doing. Um, and he came up to me, and he was like, hey, if it all goes well, it's not your fault. And if it all goes bad, it's not your fault. And I was like, that's not how this is supposed to work. It's just like, this is my fault. This is how... But what I learned is that calling is God's business. When God calls you, it's his responsibility to make it happen. Do you know how freeing it is to know that you don't have to make it happen? That when God calls you, it's like only more recently that I've gotten a hold of this concept that when God calls you, it should bring great comfort and peace and actually excitement. You know, I've said this in the beginning part of this year that I really believe God is calling this church into deeper experience of worship. And because I have this perspective now on calling, I get to sit back and watch what God is going to do. I have no doubt that by the end of the year or who knows how long, God is going to bring us into such depth of worship, and it's going to be really cool to see, and I'm just supposed to be responsive to whatever God invites us to. I have no responsibility to make it happen. I just know he will. Do you see that perspective? I mean, maybe God has called some of you to open a business, or maybe God has called you to be an overseas missionary, or God has called you to plant a church. And the temptation is to say, now that I know what God is asking me to do, I will do it and make it happen. And let me just tell you, that will kill you. It will drive you into the ground. But if you understand that calling is under the sovereignty of God, you get to sit back. The, the, the way that I phrase it now is, I get to a front row seat to what God is going to do in this church. I get a front row seat. So do you. Whatever God is calling you to do, you get a front row seat to watch God put himself on display. And you get to participate in whatever way he invites you to. This is important for you to understand. And let me tell you why. Because if you understand this, if you understand that calling is under God's sovereignty, if you understand that, uh, that it's God's job 
And having faith in God to bring it to fruition then becomes your weapon against attack. You know, a lot of sermons are, do this, right? We finish the message, and this is a thing for you to go do. This is a sermon about what you need to believe. This is about getting your head and your heart in alignment about what's true about God. Because if I say, well, now you got to go do, 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 we've missed the point. The point here is that we understand that calling is under the sovereignty of God. So when you face opposition and you face attack, especially jealousy, you know what to do with it. Look with me at uh, verse 6 again. It says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. The refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, David kept a close eye on David. This is, or I'm sorry, Saul kept a close eye on David. This is jealousy, right? Do you see this? This is jealousy. David hasn't killed tens of thousands of people, right? He killed a Philistine called Goliath, and then the rest of the army chased down the rest of them. And when, when they come back in this processional, this is a celebratory song, and I could go into why, but I don't want you to be here all afternoon, but this is just a celebration. So these ladies are not saying, well, David is better by 10 times than Saul, They're saying, we've won a great victory, hooray! That's what's happening here. But Saul objects because David is listed in the same breath as Saul. That the people, as they come back, have elevated David to the same place as Saul. And he's jealous. Do you see this? Do you see the the, the jealousy of Saul? And so we, we begin to understand why when we look at verses 12 to 15. It says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. It says on two different occasions that Saul is afraid of David. Now, I hope we understand that fear is not something that God gives us. We have not been given a spirit of fear, right? Like over the COVID, have you seen that posted on the internet plenty? We've not been given a spirit of fear. Fear is from the enemy. Fear is not something that comes from God. And so what we see happening here is that the enemy, namely Satan, is fighting against the calling of God on David's life, and he's using Saul. Do you see there's a bigger perspective here? What you can guarantee is that when God calls you to something, you are going to face attack. How's that for good news? You are going to face opposition. When God calls you, it guarantees at some point you will face opposition. And typically, jealousy is a pretty big uh, opposition that you're going to face. See, your life takes place in this big cosmic battle, right? Jesus has won the day. We know the end of the story. And yet, you're in this giant cosmic battle that's happening, and people are used as pawns in the battle. So when God chooses you, 
and says, I want you to do this thing, Satan fights against it. That there's always a battle going on. And if you can keep that perspective, it's really important. And one of the most uh, prevalent tactics that Satan uses is jealousy. And the reason Satan uses jealousy is because it touches on this core fear that we all sort of wrestle with all the time, that that calling is a zero-sum game, right? Don't we sort of think of it like that? We sort of think of it like, if you think of like a pie, I was going to, you guys seen Office Space? I'm a little bit ashamed to have, like, acknowledged this. But anyway, you know Milton, like, he doesn't get the the cake. Last time we had cake, any of you have seen it, you will understand. Anyway, we think of calling like a pie, and what we think is, well, God gave Pete a piece of the pie, and God gave Dory a piece of the pie, and God gave Chris a piece of the pie, and I'm watching God give Micah a piece of the pie, and Tyler gets a piece of the pie, and I'm watching the slices of pie go away, and I'm like, we're running out of pie. There may not be any pie for me. And we think of calling this way. We think of calling as if we give too much to someone else, there may not be any left for me. And so here's what happens. As soon as, some, as soon as God issues calling on your life, the first thing that happens, and we acknowledge, hey, this is someone who has called by God to this thing. The first thing that happens is everyone else around who had any interest in the thing that you're now called to all of a sudden goes, there's less for me. I have to wrestle with this thought that there's less for me. You know, oh, you know, I, I was going to start a restaurant. Now Evan started a restaurant. Now there's less for me. You know, I was going to go as a missionary to that country, and now I hear about another missionary to that country, and there's less calling available for me, and I have to wrestle with this idea. And so all of a sudden, jealousy sets in. And the reason jealousy sets in is because we're afraid that God is not good, that God doesn't have something for us. When you have a calling on your life, that will happen automatically. Unless we believe it's just everyone else but the called, uh, called person, it's true for the people who receive the calling. It's a piece that you have to wrestle with, and I'm going to share this from experience. We knew we were called to plant a church in the city, and we got here, and we're super excited. We're going to plant a church, and so many people are going to come to know Jesus, and it's going to be amazing. We're going to transform the city, and we get here, and we're thrilled to be here, and we start watching other churches are leading people to Jesus. And other churches are baptizing people, and nobody came to my small group. And I start wondering, is God good? What about all those people? It's working over there. Something's wrong with me. Maybe I, right? Do you see how this would happen? That you experience calling, and yet as soon as you get into your calling, you start to see that other people are being blessed. And you go, what about me? And the temptation comes that maybe we start to believe it's the same lie that Satan fed Eve in the garden. Are you sure that God's good? Are you sure that he's got something for you? I've seen it in vineyard church plants in the same city. I've watched this happen. Somebody's pastoring a vineyard church in a city. Someone else gets called to plant a vineyard church in that same city, and they're like, don't come here. We're already doing it. As if one church could reach a whole city right? There's this fear that comes and this jealousy blossoms. And can I just say, sort of parenthetically before I move on, if you recognize this in yourself, you have to kill it quick. You have to kill it quick. What I started to realize in myself was I was jealous of all the ones that, you know, everybody posts their best stuff on social media, right? 
Any of you post the worst days on social media? Most of us don't do that. We post the, the good stuff. And so, you know, I, I'm looking at all these other churches, and they're like, look, at, we had eight baptisms. And I'm like, we've only baptized two people. Maybe God doesn't love us anymore. And I started to, then you start like imputing motive to people, right? You do this, like you see them and you're like, well, they're probably watering down the gospel. That's what it is, right? You start deciding what's happening and you begin, because of your jealousy, you begin to, to think various things about other people. And can I just say, when Saul became jealous, he tried to kill David. Maybe we're not trying to kill the other churches, but maybe we might want to cast a little bit of doubt on their reputation. Maybe you're not like trying to kill the person who's going to step up into youth ministry, but maybe you want to kill their influence a little bit. Do we see that? Maybe the other guy that's doing something across town is, is doing great work, but you just start going, yeah, but you don't remember how he used to be. And it all comes out of your fear and jealousy. And I just want to say, if you don't kill that quick, it doesn't take a long time before it spirals out of control. You have to kill it quick. Maybe you need to have a conversation with one of the churches that I, that I used to struggle with when we first started. They were constantly posting things that were going on in their church that was good. And I, I wanted to be excited. I genuinely wanted to be excited. And I found something in myself that I started judging. And I just reached out to the pastor. And I said, can we have coffee? And he's like, yeah, why? I was like, I just want to have a conversation with you. And so we sit down. We have coffee. And I said, I just need you to know that I'm jealous of you. that I don't trust the goodness of God enough to be excited for you. And I need to ask for you to forgive me. He's like, of course, he doesn't know, right? He doesn't know that's what's happening in me. He's like, yeah, sure, I, what, okay, whatever. I was like, no, I just need you to know that because I recognize something growing in my heart that's not from God, and I don't want that, and I don't want anything to come between us. One of the beautiful things about what's happening in this city between churches working together is that we're getting past this idea of fearing that there's not enough good for God, from God for us. That we can actually be excited about what's happening in someone else's church because we know that it's not a zero-sum game, that we don't have to be jealous. God has given us the weapon, though, against jealousy. And it's faith in the sovereignty of God over our calling. That's the weapon. It's faith in the sovereignty of God. You see, as long as you believe that you're responsible to make your calling happen, you'll experience attacks that come against you as personal attacks. Won't you, you start saying, well, they, they're jealous of me, so clearly we have a personal issue. But as soon as you recognize that calling is from God, it's a sovereign thing, you get this perspective where you recognize that Satan is actually attacking your calling. This is a, not a battle between the two of you. This is actually a battle between Satan and God, and you happen to be the player in the middle. And so it actually gives you grace for someone else. Check this out, though. I want you to see something. Verses 12 to 16, looking at this. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. So in his fear, right, Saul tries to spear David twice. And then he says, I'm not going to kill him myself. 
I'm just going to send them out to the battlefield and let the Philistines kill him. That's a brilliant idea. I don't have to kill him. He'll just die fighting the battles that I need him to fight anyway. But did you see what happens? As he goes out to, to die, when Saul sends him out, he's just constantly victorious. And what God is doing is God is using the very attack against the calling on David to elevate David into being the king of Israel. Do you see this? That this is actually what's happening. The very attack against you becomes the way, the platform that God builds for your calling. It's so critical that we understand this because it enables us to face attack and opposition with a different posture. If you know that calling is God's sovereign business, and if you know that it's his job to make it happen, then what you begin to see as attacks come towards you is you see the fodder that God's going to use to build your platform. Do you get what I'm saying here? The attack against you is like, well, you have weak theology. It's like, oh, glad, I'm glad. God must want to build the, the theological platform that my church is going to be built on. This is amazing. You begin to see attacks as the stuff that God's going to defeat because God never loses a battle. Do you see this? It makes all the difference in the world. If you know that God has called you, everything that comes against you is going to lose. Everything that comes against your calling is going to fall because God's going to make your calling happen. Which means the person that comes and says, yeah, I'm going to question your integrity, right? And you go, oh, wow, God is going to use that. He's going to build this. My ministry is going to be marked by great integrity because I know he's not going to lose. Do you see this? And it allows you to approach these oppositions and these things with great joy. Oh, here comes another thing. And the bigger the giant is, the more important it is to what God is doing in your calling. Do you see this? I hope you see this. You guys are like looking at me like, I don't know about that. Do you see that? Like that God has called you and everything that comes against that calling, God's going to use to elevate your calling. Do you know that? Like everything that has ever come against this particular church, God said this church is going to exist. And we've sort of been on this ride. Everything that has ever come against this church actually ends up being the thing that he builds the church on. Once he knocks the giant down and cuts its head off, it actually becomes the thing that elevates this church. That the, the very things, whenever we talk about the emotional unhealth that I was facing through the first five years of this church, I have stepped into places of emotional health that I never thought I would have. And guess what? That's what God builds on this church on. That this church increasingly becomes a church that's marked by emotional health that you couldn't otherwise have. Do you see that? Everything that's going to come against your calling, God is going to use to elevate your calling. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.